Hello and welcome to our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast series. This is episode nine and I'm Tundi Varga-Atkins from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool. We have four guests today from the north and south, but uh, I'll let you to introduce yourselves. And uh, the idea of Treasure Island is that the precious contact time that you spend with students and uh, in the spirit of Desert Island Discs, uh, which is a Radio 4 programme. And so in this programme, we will ask our guests to share one of your light bulb moments with students when you felt students were getting it. We will also ask you to identify a teaching prop or a pedagogy that you would take to your Treasure Island and a luxury item to relax. The first question would be, please introduce your name and institution and also describe your current role and how just a brief trajectory of how you got into this role. Sure, thank you again for having me. I'm, I'll just mention that I'm joining the session from Canada. And as you mentioned, my name is Alice Kim. Uh, I'm a researcher. I'm also the founder of a nonprofit research organization called Teaching and Learning Research in Action. And our organization is, is focused on conducting and disseminating, disseminating research on teaching and learning practices. Um, and something that's really important to our organization is the dissemination piece. Uh, we focus on traditional ways of dissemination like conferences and peer-reviewed journals, but it's also important that we disseminate our research in non-traditional ways as well. We were chatting a bit about that earlier, uh, but basically, you know, uh, ways that are more accessible to the general public, because this is the kind of research or the information that everyone could really benefit from, um, not just our colleagues in higher education. So that would be, uh, examples would be short videos, informational placards and as I mentioned we're striving to also do a podcast as well. Um, so in terms of how I got here my background is in psychology so both my master's and my PhD uh, were in experimental uh, psychology and I focused on how we learn at, at a very basic level so that would actually go back to cognitive neuroscience and I was looking at patterns of electrical brain activity associated with how we form new memories. And, you know, it's really fascinating, but I won't get into that today. But I will mention that um, I, I I loved it, but I knew that I wanted to do something where my the results of my research could be more applied and maybe more readily. So, you know, fast forward, uh, my postdocs were amazing in the sense that they helped me explore different avenues or different ways that I can use my research in more applied ways. And I got into teaching and learning research. One of my postdocs was actually at the Teaching and Learning Center at York University. And there my, my prime role was really to engage in the scholarship of teaching and learning. And I, I really loved it. Like I felt like that was my calling. And so fast forward to today, uh, we have we have the nonprofit Teaching and Learning Research in Action. and. And that's really where my focus is at. Um, I, I should also mention that in addition to doing this research, I'm also a sessional instructor in the psychology program at the University of Guelph Humber. And that's also really important to me because I want to I want to make sure that I, I have one foot in the classroom always. Like I want to also continue developing my own teaching practice and not forget what it's like to be in the classroom. Brilliant. Thanks, Alice. And I love the way you say it's, it was your calling. And I, I love the 
the link between teaching and the scholarship of learning and teaching. I think that a lot of the listeners and, and we in the room uh, can echo on that sentiment. Thank you. So what about you, Ingeborg? Thanks, Tunde. Uh, yes, my name is Ingeborg van Knippenberg. I'm a lecturer in the Department of Learning and Teaching Enhancement at Edinburgh Napier University. And I joined the department in October 2019. And what I do in the department is a lot of um, teaching on our programs, as well as um, mentoring people who are going through the experiential route to get recognition of their teaching practice as fellows of the Higher Education Academy. So the way I got there, my background is very much in STEM or, or biosciences. I have a degree in chemistry, a PhD in plant sizes. I worked on molecular mechanisms of bacteria and viruses. I've always been interested in, in teaching, but never had a lot of opportunities um, until that changed one day um, during my postdoc in, in Glasgow. And I got more opportunities and somebody told me you should do the PG cap if you're interested in teaching. And so I did. And it's very funny because as a PDT to some of our um, lecturers who are now going through um, um, the PG cert at Napier, um, I had that experience myself that I thought um, I love presenting and explaining things. And then you do the PG cap and you see this whole world of learning and teaching is so much more to it. There's it's so much wider. And that really got me fired up and thinking I want to change direction of my career to fully get into learning and teaching. Um, and that led me to to Napier. Thanks. I mean, that, you know, you think being fired up by that opening of teaching learning that's uh, I think that happens to a lot of people thank you what about you Natalie um, yeah that comment makes me so happy <laughs> uh, I'm Natalie Tassa I'm an academic developer at the University of Glasgow and I teach on um, the PG cap and, uh, and the AMED in academic practice so I run a couple of postgraduate courses in our dissertations and uh, I'm a, the uh, I'm one of the founding editors for the Open Zottle Journal, so um, calls are still open for the inaugural issue. So <laughs> just have to block that now if that's okay. Um, otherwise, yeah, how did I get into academic development? So I'm I'm from Germany, as you might be able to hear, and my background is educational science and uh, or Erziehungswissenschaften. And so my grand plan was to do a PhD in education as a revenge for 12 years of pain and boredom in school. <laughs> and I wanted to teach teachers to become better teachers. I thought it was a pretty cunning plan. And then finished my PhD in one of the worst financial crises we had in sector cuts and and end. And over roundabout ways ending up in learning development, which I really, really loved. And then having the opportunity to move into academic development. So I was actually, uh, over fulfilling my grand plan because I'm not teaching the teachers, I'm teaching the teacher's teacher. And I thought that is pretty, pretty cool multiplier education. So yeah, this is where I am right now. Right, brilliant grand plan. And yeah, well done for achieving it as well. Thank you, Natalie. What about Vienna? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So actually, it's funny because uh, I just can't believe the variety of backgrounds here. <laughs> it's just amazing. Uh, so in my case, when I was about five, I knew I wanted to be a teacher and then that never changed. And then I became extremely interested in languages. Um, only later I realized that languages in, in themselves are not in a way 
so so useful in, in it anyway so i just uh, spent years and years studying languages i loved it english french spanish a bit of chinese anyway but then uh, so really that's my background and i started teaching languages and then um i was offered to do this pg cert which i wasn't really sure honestly what it was but i just did it and then at that point i realized wow this is just so interesting i would love to teach teachers and then I just said it I just said to my tutor I would love to do your job and she said why not and so I started um, being involved on the course and then I went on to an MA in um, teaching actually talking about the uh, what uh, Alice was saying about being practical I, I'm interested in the in the craft of teaching I'm really interested in the practice so I didn't want to do something theoretical abstract I wanted really something to do with the practice so my MA is MA in teaching and then uh, since then it's always been education development and so right now for about four years I have been uh, at Ravensbourne University London which is an um, art and design um, new university really um, and um, basically I pretty much help teachers I hope teach better <laughs> That's what, but actually they teach me a lot as well so it's an exchange yeah I think we can all all echo that as well because we're learning so much on the job and I also find as part of the joy that we are still learning but I think the the other comment I wanted to make about languages that I think don't, don't you find that many of our job in the, this academic development role is translating and sometimes it is finding the educational language totally. for colleagues and that so yeah I can see a lot of uh, use of language teaching and language courses translating yeah. between disciplines and finding uh, almost like the Esperanto language for yes. education anyway so thank you for your introductions uh, I think th this is so nice everyone has a different story which which I think is is so interesting so let's uh, settle and start drawing towards our treasure islands so we know it's a special contact time with students and you might have different contexts from from in your different roles for this so you can interpret however you want your students to be but can you share one of your many probably many light bulb moments but can you just share one where you felt your students whether they were staff members or students when you felt they were getting it and how that came about what what made that happen i must say that i've always been uh, totally fascinated by um, educational theories and uh, different approaches to teaching and learning and when i read threshold concepts um, and I really, I think I understood <laughs> what they were about. And I just thought, oh, I just seriously it was such a light bulb moment. I, I, it was absolutely transformational. I thought, I cannot believe nobody has ever told me about threshold concepts when that's what education really is, I think, about, is passing these thresholds. But just maybe um, identifying them can help them either before or after, but at some point identifying them rather than being so stuck to learning outcomes, which is unfortunately the type of thing that we are forced to do by the system. Anyway, so because it was so transformational for me and uh, because fortunately I had the agency of choosing uh, the focus of the curriculum design unit on the PG cert. So I, um, I teach this core unit um, and I thought to myself, OK, then I'm going to use this to test and threshold concepts on these teachers. Of course, they don't know, they are being my <laughs> pretty much guinea pigs, but I wanted to see what the reaction would be. And I, I must say, I've never experienced such, um, not, not even just a positive reaction, but truly a transformational reaction <laughs> to, to threshold concepts. And I'll never forget this one teacher who said, 
after the workshop, so we did the learning design workshop uh, based around identifying threshold concepts, which is not easy. But once you do, you understand how valuable they are. Um, and then at the end of it, she said, um, you know, it's the first time in, I can't remember if it was 10 years or something of teaching, that I actually understand my discipline. So I thought to myself, what could be more valuable <laughs> than understanding what you're talking about as <laughs> a teacher? So, um, and likewise, everybody has said that the, at the end of the whole PG cert, many of them mentioned that was the main takeaway was understanding threshold concepts and how to use them to build learning or learning design. So for me, that's been really a, a fantastic experience that I'm now um, sort of taking forward in my own learning design tool, which is a project I'm involved with, with Kim, Kim as well, actually. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's my gem I would like to share. Yeah, I, I just want to build on that because I think my light bulb moment fits very well with what Werner was just was just um, explaining. So when um, so uh, we um, so we, we are leading a couple of of courses on a PG cap, and one is I think my colleague spoke about earlier the, the creative pedagogies and active learning, and another one I was able to completely redesign with a colleague was um, uh, designing education inquiries. And the two key elements of these courses is to have colleagues engage with threshold concept and have them um, go through or en encourage transformative learning experiences. And for me, the light bulb moments is I'm, I'm not kidding when I mark assignments and I have moments where I'm literally air punching and shouting, yes, or I've actually also started crying because I had um, I had course participants writing, this course made me confident, this course made me brave too, you know, or someone saying, you know, I had, I experienced a complete paradigm shift, literally writing something like this in the, in the assignment, you know, and then you're sitting there, oh my God, it worked. <laughs> so, so, and it can be such a powerful experience for, for educators to really take ownership of, you know, Werner, what you just said, you know, this is my, you know, I've, I've first time I understood my, my profession or, you know, and when educators can take ownership of that teaching process and feel confident and find their teaching voice and I think this is such a powerful experience and it's such a privilege to be able to help that you know bring that along and help people to develop that voice yeah so that's what I wanted to add there yeah that's really actually that's really in line with what I had planned to 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 uh, sorry to discuss as my light bulb moment and uh, but for me, it's actually with my students who are undergraduate students. And it was a recent um, experience in this placement course that I was teaching. The placement course is in psychology. So the goal or one of the learning outcomes is for students to combine experiential um, education with, you know, with content that they that they've learned from previous courses from the program. And so here, a big thing for me was getting them to reflect critically or engaging in critical reflection that also, I, I, I'm just going back to what's already been said, that has helped them learn more about the impact that their own experiences have on their lives. And I have to say, like for me, this was a big thing because in the beginning, I did receive some pushback. Like one student even wanted to meet at the beginning of the, of the course to, to really ask questions like, why are we doing these journals? <laughs> why are we doing these uh, discussion forums when we're already doing these journals? Why do we have to do, 
right like reflection responses why can't we just do 100 hours of our placement like what is all this and the big thing so uh, you know basically I just said really nicely, you know, this is a process. You just have to trust me. And they did. I, you know, I always end up with the best students. I know them. The good thing about where I'm teaching is that it's a really small institution. So I know the students and we already have that relationship, which is what I love about uh, that particular um, institution. Anyhow, so they said, okay, okay, Dr. Kim, I, you know, I've had you before, so I'm going to trust you. Okay, so thank you. So fast forward, you know, throughout the course, I see students are having trouble. I, I should say, I don't think that students really need to engage in critical reflection um, th throughout the program. I think this might be the first course that they took where they need to do it uh, for a significant portion of the course. It's a third year course. And then by the end of it, what really, you know, was really amazing for me is to read uh, the last entry of students' journals. And a lot of students sporadically, you know, just like not, not cued, were mentioning how at the beginning of the course, I was really, you know, unsure about this whole process. But now I see how everything comes together. Everything is making sense. I see the point of these journals, you know, um, getting emails from students at the end of the course saying that what one of my biggest takeaways from this course is learning how to think and how to be reflective so that I can understand how my experiences impact me and like to what extent. And so for me that like when I receive emails like that, I feel like I've won, like that is a gold medal, I think for me. And so, yeah, I, I mean, that's one of my most recent experiences, but one of the best. Yeah, fantastic. Ingepar? Yeah, um, all of what you're saying sort of resonates with me. And I think we're all having that kind of shared experience of, of those light bulbs. And the one I wanted to share was the, the PDT role on our PG cert as personal development tutor is a bit like mentoring people as they move through the program and um, build their patches for their patchwork. Um, so I have a lot of people from technical subjects like computing and engineering where sometimes you get people who can be like, um, I'm a very good teacher because I explain it really clearly, yet the students don't understand. I ask them, any questions? No questions. Exam time, they don't understand. So we had a really nice conversation about that where I explained, well, maybe you want to, you know, let your students interact with this material among themselves a little bit before you ask them if there are any questions. And it was like, but but why? If they have questions, they can ask. Um, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a tough nut to crack, right, to to get him to see our way of working. And to my surprise, the next time I met him, he said, well, I tried it in my class. It was amazing. The students engaged so much better with what they were learning and all the questions came up and they did much better in the exam. And that's, you know, that's the joy of, of doing this job that you see those pennies drop. Yeah, thanks for sharing all, all this. I think what, what it conjured up in me, this image of you can see people rowing to your treasure islands, but when, they, when they're rowing back, it's almost like you've made such a transformational change that the island that they're rowing back to is completely different to them because you were able to shift their perception, which I think is a lovely, I, I don't know, that just gave me some goosebumps when you were talking about it. So let's let's move on to the next question, which was about so on these treasure islands with the students, 
what teaching prop or pedagogy would you take with you? So I thought I thought about this, what it would be, and I'm I'm not sure if you could call this a pedagogy, but it's um it's what I would the idea that I would want to bring that I'm you know getting into at the moment. And it's actually something that's probably already there if it's a pristine island, right? And this comes back to what you were saying, Verna, about uh, learning outcomes and the system. So I would take ungrading. I don't want to have anything to do with measuring people up against each other and is this one sixteenth of a grade higher or lower than the other person. I want us to be there for the learning and we all learn the things we need to learn and I count myself as a learner very much as well in that situation. Um, so no competition. It's not a competition. We're there because we're interested and we want to find out. Um, and that comes back to my background as researcher as well, I think. So what people want in the podcast that while you were saying this, there were emoji claps going on. <laughs> people were nodding. So can you hear the reactions from the others? Just your your thoughts on this. It's quite interesting that, um, of course, because ungrading to the, um, it depends how far you push it, whether it's uh, uh, because some people literally uh, advocate no assessment, uh, but maybe that's a bit really a bit difficult to, to implement for us at university. But what I'd like to say, just a little personal experience about this on the PG cert, um, there was a little bit of confusion in a way from the QA viewpoint, whether the units on the PG cert that we have, we call them units, like the modules, should be graded or not. And so it, originally I was told that they had to be graded. Fortunately, they were not on a percentile because that I really find it very difficult to cope with. <laughs> so at least they were on an A to F scale. So that was a bit, for me, it was better because there was a um, broader band. But eventually I managed to really dig a little bit deeper and realize that actually I could get away <laughs> with not grading and it could be just pass or fail. And this exactly now, literally today, yesterday, I have been um, marking, but there's no marking, <laughs> these uh, portfolios that the students have put together. And it's the first time that I do it just on a pass or fail. And the joy that I felt, <laughs> I can't tell you. And I know even the students, because it completely shifts the attention onto actually learning. And it's just about, you know, this, yes, there is a benchmark because there is a pass or fail, but compared to before where there is this judgment and, you know, the level and the percentile. And then of course you compare with another person, as you're saying, I think it shifts the attention away from learning. So I agree with you, that's really a gem. Yeah, and it also makes me think about Bloom's taxonomies. And when I was tidying my office, I actually found an undergraduate paper 20 years ago where I, where I was refuting those and I haven't changed my mind yet. Um, but unfortunately, that's the go-to thing, uh, model for some bizarre reason we are using. But um, what what I would take to my um, to my island as a, as a teaching approach is definitely creative learning and teaching methods. So... Um, Hands down, that that would be it for me to to use. Yeah. Tell me, just just give us one example, for instance. I know that um, you know that that's part of the brief in a way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So one example. Um. Okay. Um. I just told this earlier today, so that's why I was on top of my mind right now. So I used to. So uh, I was working in learning development, and this, and I was uh, asked by a head of year to work with the students, because. 
um, the head of year said, when they look at the student assignments, it looks as if the students sit down and go, I just write everything down I know without, <laughs> without thinking about it. And I wanted the students to understand that, um, that they have control in the assessment situation, right? So I came up with a, with a creative method and I came up with balloon academies. I got uh, balloons, latex-free, remember people have allergies. So, and I put the students into groups and asked the students to, um, to create some balloons and to pass the balloon academy, the, the balloons had to have three criteria, eyes, nose, mouth, and one freestyle criteria on top of that. And then they had to pass, decorate their balloons and then pass them on to the next group and the next group should decide if they pass or not. And the debates that came out of that were absolutely mind boggling. So for instance, there was one balloon that had an eye patch and the group wanted to let that balloon fail. And the cause was up in arms and saying, this is so unfair, this is discriminatory because you don't know why this balloon has the eye patch. And so we had this really elaborate discussions and there was a lot of discussions about um, equality and diversity and inclusion. It was quite interesting. And at the end of the session, I turned around and said, now, okay, did you know how difficult it was for you to decide and all you had, if the, if the balloons pass or not, and all you had was three criteria and one freestyle criteria. Now imagine your markers have to mark 120 assignments and each assignment has about 20 criteria. Do you know how difficult for them that is to judge how you meet these criteria? Crickets. I was absolutely silent in the room and you could literally see, maybe that's actually more light bulb moment, switch that on. But it's not the end of the story. So an hour after the session or hour and a half, I get a phone call from the head of the, of the year group. Natalie, what have you done with my students? And I was like, oh no, <laughs> it's like, what happened? So apparently, um, so this was very early in the semester and the students have to hand in a portfolio at the end of the semester. And normally the head of year told me the students would come to them maybe two weeks, one week before they have to hand in the portfolio. And they said to me that at the end of their lecture, the students were all queuing and asking about the portfolio. And I said, but we never even talked about the portfolio. But apparently that control over the assessment process, that understanding of how they have to engage in that was so profound that they made these relationship across the board. So yeah, so that is an example of a creative method plus a light bulb moment actually, yeah. Brilliant, that's fantastic. Such a great activity. I'm so glad that I'm on the island with all of you because you're bringing all the right stuff. I kind of want to change my answer, but since you're bringing all those things, I'm going to bring something different. I think I'm just going to go with my classic um, think, pair, share. Um, something that I always use. I, I really love it. And I think it's because I tend to teach larger size classes. So in the past, it was not uncommon for me to have about 200 students in my class. That's that's being kind of whittled down, not whittled down, but it's it's more like 60 to 100 now. But anyways, I really I really like it um, because, OK, I'll, I'll say how I use it and then I'll say why I like it. So basically, I, I use it um, throughout my lectures. Uh, I'll embed discussion questions and my students know that when you see like this slide that looks like this, like a specific looking slide with a question, it means that you grab a piece of paper and basically they think about the answers by themselves. Essentially, they're writing a minute paper. So they have a minute or two together their own thoughts on what 
how they would respond to this question. And then in these really large lecture halls, um, I'll give them a, a heads up. Your time's over. Now Now um, you discuss with whoever's closest with you. So they get to have a conversation with a peer. And in a way, I, I find that I think that students feel safer to share their ideas with one person as opposed to 199 other students because they have, you know, okay, I will just finish the process. So after they have a chance to speak with their, their closest peer, um, and then we have a big class discussion. And I'll say it is a big class discussion because it's not just students in the front, it's even students in the back. Like I will walk up the stairs to the back of the class to, to be able to hear the students at the back. And I, and I, and I love it. I, I really think it's because when students have a conversation with a peer and they raise their hand, they're, they're more confident because they're sharing the ideas that came up in a conversation with a peer and it's reflecting both of them and they feel like they have that support and that they can share their ideas. And I think that's different than putting your hand up to to share your own idea where there's more judgment maybe or more fear of judgment. And I, I just think that um, this kind of the think pair share method, it just creates more of a community because again, it's not just a, the students sitting in the front, it's, it's the students in the back and on the left and on the right. And I find that when I'm walking to the back or to the left of the hall, you know, one person has their hand up, but then others, while I'm in that area, everyone's going to put their hand up. Right. So I think it's just it's really about having an opportunity to first have your own thought, then having a conversation and sharing it. And then you're the whole class. And I think it's amazing. I always use that. So I, I'll take that to the island. <laughs> yeah, I actually think Alice would like the throw microphones. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but it's basically like a big soft ball with a microphone in it. And it's connected to the speaker system in the in the lecture hall. And you can literally have the students throw it across the lecture hall. And it's a bit of fun and it's a bit of gamification, but it makes it more accessible as well. So that's yeah, I think you would like that. Yeah, I heard of it. I heard of it. it and I, I was like, I need to get that. But then we moved into this new um, context where we don't really need it because we're online. I was just going to ask just how how this might work in the online context, because I know that some of colleagues, some colleagues here, a lot, a lot of them had issues with engagement in that large class, exactly for the reasons you've mentioned that the thing pair share resolves is that reticence of speaking up individually. And I know that some colleagues from my institution, for, for instance, did something similar in the online context when they they um, shared out. So rather than every student individually posting to discussion board, they had a small group and then based on the group discussion, then the groups posted one and that uh, alleviated the issue of of exactly what you were talking about. But yeah, how did you make it? How did you translate it if you had in the online context? Yeah, so for me as well, I've also had um, the um, students work as small groups when they were posting responses to the discussion forum. And I think it, it, it was helpful because I've also done the opposite where each, um, well, we, we actually go back and forth. So when students have the opportunity to write responses on their own, I think that they're a bit less engaged. Like I, I find that their, their responses are 
a bit more thoughtful when they respond as a group. And maybe it's because of the multiple perspectives or the conversations that they have. Um, so that's what I've done. I don't know if anyone has done anything different. I think using the chat and then uh, maybe for, if you wanted to do think, pair, share, it could be think like yourself, um, then maybe share in the chat, or it could be like in a breakout room. It depends how many people you have, because sometimes, although it's not it, it's not so long, but still you have to open the rooms, put people there, and then, you know, sorry, I can't get in there. So sometimes it's not, it depends how many. If you've got a small group, actually it tends to work quite well. You don't have so many um, issues to troubleshoot. But when you have a large group, it's possible that, just um, accessing and making those breakout rooms work sometimes just takes a bit longer. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the concept can be translated online. Yeah. <laughs> and being of eye, you're having the mic. What's your oh, yeah. teaching proper pedagogy that you would take your Treasure Island? Yeah, I mean, this was a difficult question because actually there are so many winning activities that I've seen, but, but I have not specifically created them <laughs> i wish i had but i have tried them so um and I, i'm gonna steal all of the ones you said by the way <laughs> especially the balloon absolutely so um the one that i think uh, i mean just comes to my mind is also a little bit nostalgic in a way because it's from pre-covid but it's um okay just to give the context a little bit is in art and design we have or generally creative arts we have project briefs so students work to a project that's the assessment brief so because everything is project based, so they have this document which basically guides them. They have to fulfill that and that is that, that will determine everything because it will have the criteria, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, can be a, it can be a real thing from industry or it can be made up. For example, sometimes we have had, you know, Max and Spencer saying, OK, we want a new sandwich box and then they will say a few things they want. That's the brief, just to give an example for those who are not familiar. So uh, this project brief uh, or assessment brief, because it's such an important document, I have been trying to um, ask and really create discussion around how do we engage students with that brief? And how do we help them understand what is required and interact with it, that they don't just passively receive it? And um, one thing I've done then, because of course I'm trying to model some of the approaches, one thing I've done on the PG cert, also because again it's project uh, driven, so I've got the project brief for the PG cert, and what I do is, um, if we are on site, I um, literally printed it on large A3 sheets, so um, it might be let's say it's nine pages, and then I will divide it into three sets. So the first three pages, then another three pages, another three pages, and I will stick them on the walls of the room and create stations. So the group is divided, the, the cohort is divided into three groups, for example, if I created three stations. So they will go, each group, to one of these stations and literally together discuss, read, and um, put post-it notes of questions, comments, anything which is not clear on that section of the brief. Obviously it has to be logically divided, that it makes sense. Um, and then they will rotate. So there will be a timer and then I will ask them to rotate. So the first group will go to the second station, third station, and then it might take about half an hour. And if you do that on day one, um, it's actually automatically a wonderful group gelling activity, community building, 
and you will find out what students already know. You will also find out where your brief is not clear because that's where all the questions are going to be. Stack lots and lots of post-its there. <laughs> so then that informs you. You may be able to adjust at that stage before releasing it um, as, as an official document. So I tried to do that before releasing it because then once you release it, you can't, you're not allowed to change it, of course. And I just want to say it's just worked really well because it's been this buzz in the room and um, also really helpful feedback for me. And just the fact of people physically moving around and, um, you know, having this um, something to talk about, which is really important to them. So digitally, you can sort of do the same, more or less, by dividing, by creating a Jamboard. And on the Jamboard, you again have, you can have three boards if you were doing the equivalent, and each board will have some prompts or questions, whatever it is. And then groups can be on that Jamboard and discuss that section. So you have to create breakout rooms. Obviously, I prefer the physicality of moving around uh, but, you know, if we can't, there is a digital equivalent. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that. I love that example. Thank you. OK, so we have, um, I think you've all been so passionate and creative about teaching. So let's talk about relaxing now. So what would be the item, luxury item that you would take to your treasure island when you are off duty from teaching? I think I think I'm cheating a little because I was thinking about it when you posted the questions and I was like, hmm, I'm taking my grab bag because it has everything I need. It has my um, uh, steel flint and my letterman, but it also has a journal and pencils and travel watercolors. And so I can basically make tools, create stuff, write poetry, make art, and it's all in one pack. And I also have a foldable solar charger just in case. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm cheating a little and bring my crap back. <laughs> okay, I think we, we allow you to do that. Yeah, I thought about this. Um, and I know that I'm in many ways going along the same directions as Louise Drum, my colleague you had on the podcast previously. So I'm not going to ask for the tools or for a ukulele, but I'm going to ask, and it's a little bit, feels a little bit like cheating as well. Um for a set of recorders and an unlimited supply of printed sheet music because I'm an avid recorder player um, and whereas I might invest the time to build the tools to build the instruments I'd rather just ask for them <laughs> so that I can play away but um, I'm rubbish at composing or anything like that so I need the sheet music to have something to play. Mm -hmm. Lovely. So making music on the island. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be a lovely company for us. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Alice? OK, I don't know if I'm cheating also, um, but I, I think I would bring my two kids. I have two young kids who are ages four and seven. I don't think I can go to an island without them. And they're super cute. So I, I you know, they're they're entertaining. They're They're good. <laughs> I think because we're not a desert island, I think we, I think because Treasure Island is where we are with students and with company, I think teaching, we agree on that. It can never be a solitary. Um, and I don't like to be strict on this program anyway. So I think you're allowed. Okay, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to say, Alice, I sort of understand, and I thought about it, but then I thought, no, 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 thanks. I am not taking my kids to Treasure Island. <laughs> For once, I want my space. <laughs> 
but yes, then eventually I'll miss them, I know, after five minutes. But I think, again, I know this is a funny thing to say for a treasure island, but I would like to take my balcony because uh, in, the past, <laughs> in the past 10 or so months that we've been pretty much stuck in Italy waiting for, anyway, um, our onward journey. So we have this balcony which literally faces the mountains and it is absolutely beautiful every single day, every single season, no matter the weather, no matter the time of day, it's just beautiful because it's nature. And also the reason I like it is because when you are downstairs and you walk into the olive grove, you see the trees close up and you're under. Then you go on the balcony, you're above the trees. And it just reminded me that actually we always, this perspective taking, you know, because sometimes you get so close to situations, you just can't really understand what's going on. And so that's why I think even on a treasure island, I would like to have a balcony to have you know uh, it's more it's more or less like a lounge balcony but also a different perspective lovely we already had i think someone choosing a drone for in exactly the same reasons and giving you a different perspective on the islands so i think that's a lovely thing and it's definitely something that we missed in the pandemic and lockdowns to to have that going out walking and seeing different perspectives so yeah definitely Okay, great. And finally, I, I think I wanted to ask you, we have all already been bartering and, and stealing ideas, which is what uh, us as educators are about. We, all, we, we love stealing and sharing ideas. But is there anything in particular you wanted to pick up? Um, any ideas that someone else said that you would love to try? Oh, yeah, I think that... Um... With Natalie, you know, we're a little bit in touch on Twitter and uh, I, I like always these ideas of, I mean, everybody had great ideas, but uh, or anything to do with moving creativity and making, I think it just helps. It doesn't matter what, let's call it subject, you know, what's your field or discipline, just because we're human beings and we were not actually meant to be sitting, you know, and still. So this, you know, learning, what is learning about, you know, why is it not about movement? Why is it not about making something using your hands? It's not just about using, you know, your synapses of your, um, you know, brain. So I think it's just so useful to, to remember that no matter what we teach, we can be, you know, active, really even physically active. And I think it just helps everybody. Yeah, I have to agree. When I heard Nat Natalie saying creative learning, I was so relieved that that was covered uh, because I, I love the idea of doing creative things. Like I like using Lego. I like making students draw out things without being able to speak. I think all of these things are super important. Just, you know, it's already been said because you're making things that are implicit become explicit when you take away, you know, the traditional write out your response or, or say it out loud um, when you have to do it in a more creative way it just makes everyone think about the process more and the content more because you have to choose what you need to express and how are you going to express those things so i agree yeah it's really good i i'm i'm i was um, torn between asking Verna for the for the balcony because boy I so want to go to Italy <laughs> and be somewhere else and look over the olive grove that just sounds absolutely beautiful <laughs> but I also think actually now that we are all in that room if we are all on that island together instead of bartering I want us to put our heads together and I think we could come up with lots of ideas <laughs> if we do that so um, yeah that would be my suggestion <laughs> and maybe the balcony thrown in 
And I think you also suggested in the chat about building a treehouse, which I love that idea, because that could bring together what Alice was just talking about, the making things and, and Vienna as well. Yeah. Ingeborg? Yeah, I just wanted to to echo that because, uh, like everyone else, I want to have Natalie's Balloon Academy. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, but I also think that in my head, this island has sort of rocks as well as caves, so we can have a little rock climbing or walking up to the rocks to to get that different perspective. Um, and I really fully uh, subscribe to that idea of putting our heads together and not bartering to exchange, but share our ideas and, and collective thinking and working. Absolutely. That fits really well with the creativity because it's about coming together and making something new, isn't it? That seemed to be the... Okay, so meet you, female. Um, yeah, I think that, that concludes our journey to Treasure Islands because we've been... Yeah, I love this conversation today. Thank you so much. And it's definitely, it's almost like, okay, let's meet on the island to be at the treehouse. I think that, that will be a lovely outcome of today's conversation. Okay, um, so thank you everyone for listening and um, goodbye.